And as a result, I'm still in a nurturing status of maybe I can shape this person in to who I would like them to be because they've already convinced me that they love me. And as a result, I'm giving them 100% love and they're giving me 80% love. I'm on a journey to discover, uncover, and recover love. Now, as a national playwright, I've penned dozens of shows about relationships. As a filmmaker, I've documented the most beautiful committal of lovers at weddings. And as a divorcee, I know firsthand the brevity of marriage and the pain of its loss. I'm the Terrasaw Whitfield, and welcome to the Dear Future Wifey Podcast. Welcome to the Dear Future Wifey Podcast. I'm your host, the Terrasaw Whitfield. Listen, I'm so excited to have this next guest on the Dear Future Wifey podcast today. She's a good buddy of mine. She toured in my national plays. She's a songwriter, a producer, an actress, a singer, um, a minister of the gospel, and she taught us how to love our black brothers. Welcome to the Dear Future Wifey podcast, my good homie, Angie Stone. Wow, thank you. It's so good to be here. Good to see you. Angie, it's been a long time. Been a long time. A long time. Still kicking it. Still kicking it, man. You're 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 a legend in the music game. And um I'm just really proud to just call you friend. Um, Yes. I'm 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 proud of you. You're awesome. You always have been, you're a trailblazer and I respect you. You really gave me a really comfortable setting in your plays, and I'm waiting for the next one. Definitely, 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 definitely. <laughs> so we were playing catch up the other day, and we were just talking, yes. just catching up as friends, and we got into the conversation of relationships. Uh, yes. And uh, I said, <laughs> Angie, we definitely got to have you as a guest because you had experience in relationships. Uh, we were talking about how you were known for pulling some of the, the finest of guys and I yes. believe it's just who you are as a woman that that does that. Um, we're going to call this episode Love on Life Support. Love on Life Woo! Support. That's great. That's a great <laughs> title because uh, let me just say to um, everybody, I've had my share of ups and downs. Let's put it that way. But I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty solid on uh expert i won't say solemn expert on finding love but not so good on keeping love not being able to hold on to love has been my problem and i kind of got the answer for it but i know that the terrace is my go-to person to chop it up with about this so we had a good little conversation the other day and i was glad that you were just so honest and transparent about it. you said listen i'm an expert on finding love but I suck at keeping love. And I said, Angie, it's not your job to keep love. Oftentimes, if you're dealing with people that are toxic personalities and have uh, toxic issues, then you can do everything in your power to try to maintain that relationship, but you'll end up losing them in the end because it wasn't meant to keep them in the first place. And you've been a woman of character, you've been a woman of substance, and you've been a woman of God. God is never going to allow you to stay in a situation that's not beneficial for your soul. Amen. Let me just say uh, this. You're right on point with that, because uh, often uh, as women, we look for love uh, in all the wrong places. Sometimes, you know, some people that have grown up with our fathers, uh, they're looking for a a sense of protection, a sense of, you know, fatherhood. Um, Some of us that had fathers are looking to uh, uh, duplicate what our fathers meant to us. 
And sometimes all our fathers ain't on point, but we would never admit that because as children, we look up to, we look to, up to our parents. Uh, my, in my situation, I was stripped away from home at 17. I went, I became famous very early in my career. I went out on the road and I never looked back. I've been in the game now over 40 years. 40 years. As a result, I left as a kid. When I when I left, my mentality was, you know, I got a boyfriend. We're the same age. We're good. We're cool. And 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 in my mindset, I ain't gonna never be with nobody unless they right with me. I was seventeen. They had to be seventeen. If I was sixteen, they had to be sixteen. You know, and that was my mindset when I uh, uh, unfortunately lost the love of my life at seventeen years old. I was thrust into the industry, and being in the industry. Uh, mourning and trying to adapt to the level of success that we achieved very early, I stopped looking for love altogether because the love of my life had passed away. I stopped looking for love. However, when I found love again, it was years later, when I did find true love, let me stop there. I thought I found true love. I had gotten married uh, to a young brother, got pregnant at 22. And lo and behold, from the Bible Belt of South Carolina, I feel like I got to go get married. So I ran and got married for all the wrong reasons. You know that didn't last for five minutes. And as a result, now I'm, I'm now uh, getting a divorce and I, I'm a single parent. So, of course, I was shying away from love, but I knew how to love. All I ever dreamed of was being the perfect wife perfect mother with a successful career. I love cooking for my man. I love making sure catering to my man and all of this other stuff going over above and beyond. But sometimes as women, we get caught up with over loving and that is called smothering. And when I reflect on my life and everything that I've done wrong, my main issue is I'm an expert at loving or smothering. Let's put it that way. It's called mothering, loving, but smothering. And if you put that all together, it makes sense. Smothering is just loving overboard. Um, as a result of that, and you can interject, ask me, stop me. Hold on. No, you, you just said smothering. That's interesting because yes. I just noticed that in the word smothering is mothering. Yes. And so that's like, that's like super mothering. <laughs> that's what's yes, that, that that's that's real talk. Super mothering. And so you, you you when did you identify this within yourself that you were super mothering? You were smothering these guys. Because as 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 parents, I'm a parent too. So when we feel like we're lacking in one department, we over achieve in another department. It's even with my children. The fact that I was a single mother and I had to travel all the time. I uh uh what's what do you call them? What? It's the word I'm looking for. Uh, uh, oh, Over, God, when you overcompensate. Too, you overcompensate. You do too much. You enable. Enable, yes. That's the word. You enable your children because you're trying to make up for the missing parents. And as a result, there's a level of guilt there, but there's a level of excess love that you give because you are not going to be without because that person is not here. So I'm going to give you my share and I'm going to give you their share too. And as a result, we enable the children. I've had that problem. But that, again, comes with trial and error. Having to strike out on my own so early at 17 made me have to practice along the way. So love became a practice for me. I began practicing love on my children, uh, 
practicing love on people. And as a result, I would fall head over heels for a man. But then anything I did was overdone. Um, one of the greatest moves I made in my life was when I decided to fall in love with that sex symbol guy. I won't, I won't call I won't say his name. But I, I, I loved him so much that, you know, people might call me crazy. But when you love unconditionally, there is nothing that you won't do for a person. There and I found myself smothering uh, this young man. He was 13 years my junior, but I didn't care because the love felt equal. And when you're in equal love, now mind you, when I started, I told you that I left home saying they had to be the same age. Well, uh, how I got trapped and tripped up in that was because I always looked very young. The person that I fell in love with told me they were older than they were. So I believed them. And as a result, I didn't know that they were that much younger than me because they had an old soul and that we were equal. We were kindred spirits and we just fell head over heels in love. So after the second or third year of that, by the time you really get the just of, okay, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're this far apart. It's too late. You're too knee deep in love. So of course I got labeled the cougar and I really didn't care because love conquers all. And that's the way I looked at it was, you know, at the end of the day, you can't be mad at me. And now today, the, the coolest fad that they had going on, everybody dating younger guys or, you know, older women, uh, older guys are dating young girls. It's all over the place. They just don't talk about it as much. But I was ridiculed. I was talked about and cursed for And I loved hard. Uh, the reason I think I lost those loves, and I'm going to say this coming from a spiritual space, was not because they didn't love me, but because I had misplaced love. And so much so that I put these men before God. And when I did that, and I can say that openly now, is because I was, if I gave half the energy to pleasing God as I did to please these men, I wouldn't be alone. You preached a sermon right there, Minister Andy Stone. <laughs> if you put half the energy into loving God as you did for them. Yes. When did you come to that conclusion? Like, when did you come to this epiphany in your life? I came to this epiphany after I lost the love of my life. And then when I was, I, I became celibate for 10 years. And when I found the next love, I said, I will never make that mistake again. But my heart is this big. So once again, I'm feeling like, okay, this is the man that God chose for me. I found myself so in love with the idea of love. I was doing it again. I was worshiping. I was so happy. And yet again, God said, I got to pop you on your hand because you're still walking the tightrope. And after nine years of a beautiful relationship, it fell apart. And I wasn't, I had the wedding gown and had everything. We were almost there, but God said, not so. And once again, I was smothering. There was nothing I wouldn't buy. There was nothing I wouldn't do. There was nothing I wouldn't give. I mean, I just loved hard. It was just, you touch my man, it's on and popping. You get in my way, it's on and popping. And it was the kind of thing that I was proud of. I would, I would boast about that love. I would let everybody know, yeah, look at me. We're happy. Don't you want this kind of love? That feeling. Um, so what made that? So what made that relationship end? Uh, I think smothering. I think they got so comfortable with the idea that yeah, I got her. She loved me to death. And at that point, 
a man, in my opinion, feels less than a man when a woman never allows them to be in control of that relationship. Love rules. And I believe the love I had controlled the relationship. And when a man wants to show a woman that, hey, I'm the king of the house, I want to be in control. Sometimes we've got to fall back and allow them to love us the way that we love them. And it's like, your love can't outdo my love. And when a man feels cornered like your love outdoes his, then he goes somewhere where he is significant in a relationship. And he'll take the lesser road out, the woman that is doing a lot less for him just because she allows him to show her how to love. And as a result, you become a problem and they become, okay, I want to go over here and I want to do this. So I realized and I lost that relationship to a woman of lesser character, of lesser uh, self-respect. And I can say that because of the lifestyle that that she led, uh, um, not judging her in any way, but in comparison to my characteristics and my drive and my energy and my purpose and my focus on God, I was that woman that knew God, that knew the right way to walk. And my, my problem was I loved too hard, smothering. So you felt like and sometimes. You, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go, go finish the sentence. You said sometimes. Yeah. No, no, no. So, sometimes we have to let go and really that God. And if I had put God in and allowed God to orchestrate my moves as opposed to me orchestrating my moves, it would have fit. It would have landed on a different uh, planet. So you you take responsibility for the demise of that relationship. I do. Really, and you- I take complete responsibility. And 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 here's the here's the the elephant in the room. And we talked about this the other day. When you know when I realized that age wasn't didn't matter. Uh, unfortunately, I attract a lot of different men. Right. A lot of younger men come from me. Uh, some older men, but mostly younger men because the cliche got out that she liked young men. So mostly young men try me. And at the end of the day, you know, they they follow the narrative of, well, I want to know what it is she got going on that he loves her or that he likes her so much. Or that, so I, I genuinely don't know if, if it's real or if it's Memorex. So when I decide to try this one or that one on for size, what I realize is uh, I've ran into a lot of opportunists. Yes. I've ran into a lot of people that need experience. They want to grow up. They want to be able to just say, hey, I I experienced that. I know what that feels like. I, I know what that is. And as a result, I'm still in a nurturing status of maybe I can shape this person in to who I would like them to be because they've already convinced me that they love me. And as a result, I'm giving them 100% love and they're giving me 80% love because they already have an agenda. And I realize that because the, 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 the elephant again in the room is the age difference. One thing is I've experienced what they have not. So once they get the experience, it's like, okay, I can go try this out on somebody else. I've tried it more than once. So I'm a master at that part. I'm a master at love. I've tried it. But it's just when we get to that, that crossroads, Okay, how do I stop them? How do I fix this? It's too late because you've done too much to push them away. And and uh, eventually they find love and, and more than likely they'll take everything they've learned from you and they'll go get someone in their age bracket. They'll give they, they'll they you've taught them how to love. 
Yeah, you are loveless. I was talking to one of my good friends the other day, and she said that she seemed to be the person that always got the guy ready for his wife. And yeah. it sounds similar to you. I mean, how do you feel about that? How do you feel? Because uh, you can build up a lot of animosity towards God to say, God, like, why would you use me as a stepping stone for the guy to meet his his wife? How do you feel about that? Well, for me, I would never have animosity towards God because the rules are written. We already know what we're supposed to be doing. And uh, God said, put no other God before me. And we elevate our men to gods. And what we do is we worship them uh, with, you know, the the Bible tells us that the the man should be the head of the household. He says that he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. Meaning we have, once we are join to a man, we have got to give the man the opportunity. Uh, one of the things I realize is giving him the opportunity to long for you, to reach for you, to prove to you that he is a king. Every man that I started out with, I only got them because I wasn't easy. I wasn't submissive. I didn't give in. I was a tough cookie, but I was always a sweetheart. And at the end of the day, their mindset was, I got to conquer. Yes. They had a spirit of, I've got to get her. Why isn't she checking, checking for, me? for me? Yeah. What's the problem? You know, and my, my thing was, if I had to go back to high school, there were a lot of girls in my high school that were having sex very early in, in their life. I was an athlete. So there was no way I was going to put myself in a position to not win a scholarship. I came from a poor family. So I ain't finna shack up with nobody, lay up with nobody, do nothing. So I was a virgin for a very long time. And as a result, most of the guys in my high school, good, bad, and different, fine, gorgeous, not so gorgeous, all that, they wanted the opportunity because they knew if a girl was a virgin or not. Now, I don't know how they knew, but they knew. And they all like, I want her. I'm like, mm-mm, they don't get me. So the, the, the thing that I've learned in life is men want what they can't have. Yes. And when you make it hard for the man, that's more than likely the one that'll marry you. When you make it easy, they've conquered. I had a friendship with a brother for 10 straight years. Best friends, kicking it, loving it, doing the most of the most, but that. And crazy about each other, knowing that she's the one. Moving forward, we decided to cross the line as best friends it immediately changed the dynamic of the friendship. And of course, we didn't never want that to happen. But what ended up happening was we tried to skate around the fact that, okay, we're feeling something weird here, but we're, gonna st- we're not going to let this mess up our friendship. Because we said we was going to always be friends. And the real truth of the matter is you can't control, you know, your heart, what your heart feels. That person ended up, finding a new love. And when they found a new love, that, that the new love that they found was the exact replica of me. She looked like me. She, she does what I do. She moves like me. And I'm like, wait a minute. If you was gonna do all that, why not me? And I, that's, when, that's when a light went on. That's what you call getting them ready for their wife. But at the same time, they were as trapped as I was, because you had to go and find somebody just like me. And 
I don't know how the end of the story is going to land. But again, I can tell you that's God's way of showing me. You see, you were almost there because mm. if he went and got her, he could have had you. Now, what in the room is stone made it so that it wasn't you and it was her? It was God. And I have to remember that. And all this revelation came when I uh, completely turned my worship to God. And now I don't I don't hurt. I don't desire. I don't seek. I don't search. And nine times 10, I'll find my husband because I'm not looking for him. I'm looking for Jesus now. And because my focus is there, we'll see what God's got planned. But I'm completely surrendering to him. I've surrendered all that to him because in looking for that completion, God's got to do it. I can't do it with my eyes anymore because my, my number one, the flesh is weak. My heart is, is overwhelming. I love too hard. I give too much. I'm an expert at love just on not how to keep it. So I've got to trust God 100% at this point that the man he has for me will find me. And let me tell you something. You're such a yes. dope, dope, whole woman. And um, I've always known that, like even times when like on a tour and we'll sit down and talk yes. and I was like, this is just a really good woman, like very giving, very <laughs> nurturing. Uh, you don't you want to make sure everybody is good. You weren't the person. I mean, you were the biggest headliners in the show, but you were always making sure everybody else was good. Everybody else had yeah. to be taken care of. Um, yeah. Where did that come from? I just think early in life when I was a kid in elementary school. Uh, there was a teacher. Uh, it was this one boy in school. His name was Larry Brown. I can shout him out. Now I don't know where he is in life, but he was the cutest guy in the school. All the girls wanted him. Everybody wanted to sit next to him in class. The, the thing about him was we all thought it was cute. He didn't think he was so cute. He didn't care about that. He cared about his schoolwork. He cared about focus. What I learned from Larry is you can't hear the roar of the crowd. When you're focused on whatever it is you're doing, you focus on that. I remember uh, the teacher used to have each student pick up the school, the, the test paper. Uh, and when Larry picked up his, I learned a very important lesson. The teacher made an announcement. She said, in my entire history of teaching, this is the first time I've seen a student pick up the papers and put his paper on the bottom. Most of the students that pick up their papers put their paper on the top. It was at that moment I defined that, you know what, it's better last shall be first and first shall be last. So what I did was made it a narrative in my life that I would never put myself above anyone, that I would always ride the low ball. And as a result, I learned that like in the fourth grade. I, I, I walked through my career knowing that, you know, I was just as good as everybody else, but I did not have to propel myself, that when it was time for me to be recognized, God would propel me. And I realized that in my journey, I've watched a lot of people. I've assisted a lot of careers. I've touched a lot of lives. I've watched people touch their dreams and move way beyond me in their careers from Mary J. Blige to Mariah Carey, about from D'Angelo, all these people. I was able to touch their careers. I never looked back and said, oh, well, why y'all didn't do this? Why y'all didn't look out for me? Why I never did that because when I did it, I did it from a genuine place. And as a result, God said, when is your time? You'll arrive. Yes. I got you. So I was okay with helping these people. It also removed the spirit of envy and jealousy because when I moved with that mindset, it means that I trusted him and I, I couldn't question anybody else's journey because what was for them for, was for them. And I knew that very early on. So when I think about the school papers where he put his on the bottom, 
I listened to the words of the teacher. First time in my career, someone put theirs on the bottom. And I said, you know what? There's favor in the bottom. And that's why I always play the, play the bottom. So you said something earlier in the interview, which is so powerful, um, just saying mm-hmm. that you're submitting to the season of your life and allowing God to bring the love necessary for you or just on God's timing. Uh, definitely yeah. kudos to that. It's very hard for most people to actually reach this place of complacency or I'm going to say complacency, contentment, because God yes. wants us to be content in each season that we're in. Um so in this season of contentment, what does that look like? What are you what are you pursuing? What are the things that you're doing to keep you content and maintaining the will of God in your life? Well, the one thing that I have been doing uh, in contentment is you spend a lot of time alone. Um, I would say for the last year and a half, I've been just put in a position, astrologed in a position to have no one there but God. And when uh I submitted to that. It was when I could feel myself up. That's when they say, uh, your cup runneth over. Yes. I was going to feel myself with the word of God. And as a result, I became stronger and stronger. Now, the enemy always knows what God's ultimate plan is for our journey. So he's already trying to, always trying to throw us off our game. So I faced some trials and tribulations. And in those trials and tribulations, I had to bury myself in the word. I didn't have a man to run to. You got to remember when we're in love and we lose love, we try to find love again so that we're not absent of love and we don't have no space in between. We don't give ourselves a chance enough to breathe God because we are so busy trying to fill that void. Well, God said, you finna slow down. And I had to allow that void to expand so that there was no way on the right or the left, front or back of me, but God. So I had to surround myself with the spirit of God. And as a result, my contentment is knowing now that the only one I have, the man in my life is God. So when I when I think about what somebody else is doing or what's going on, with, I don't I don't get lost in nobody else's world anymore. I don't even think about an ex and who they with and what they doing. It's like a block core. God has shielded me. I don't even think about it, but I am still blessed enough to pray for them and wish them the best. Hope that this is the completion that they need to make them content. Because the, 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 the factor is without God, nothing ain't gonna last forever. Nothing gonna last forever anyway, but it certainly ain't gonna be a happy last forever without God. So I'm content. Uh, I've spent the last year launching Power Hour, which is my uh, gospel uh, teaching uh, program on Instagram. You can find me at the Angie Stone. Um, I used to do Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm getting ready to break it down to just Tuesdays because I'm getting ready to move into another genre of entertainment and media uh, for the people to pull in souls of Christ. Uh, this is the marriage that I'm into right now. Yes. I think when companionship is necessary for me. God's going to say now that you are completely focused and you see what I was trying to get you to do in the beginning, here is a helpmate for you. And uh, so nothing, is. I, I will say that with, with all of that going on, everybody knows me as a singer, songwriter, producer, and all these things. 
now everything that uh that i'm doing is channeling those same areas but with a different narrative i'm looking for like-minded spirits and the people that i want to help propel are people that are in position ready to shoot and aim for christ and that you know that's what he's instilled in me uh it doesn't mean that i'm against r&b it doesn't mean i'm against anything because i'll probably still do my music but it'll be it'll be geared to an inspirational audience but at the same time um the narrative for me right now is just being comfortable being at peace knowing that i have been i found my purpose and that god is even after being in disobedient with the love that i did have god has given me another chance to get it right so i'm, I'm grateful for that like i'm so glad uh, that God has given me another chance to find true love. I want to ask you two more questions. I'm going to let you go because I know you got a busy day. Okay. Question number one. How in the world did you practice celibacy for so long? A lot of Christians want to be celibate, but when you say stuff like 10 years, it freaks people out. So how well, in the world did you do that? <laughs> well, the the first thing that you have to do is once you've made a couple of mistakes and your heart is broken. In heartbreak survival, you have to pull away from the flesh. And being that our flesh dictates the thoughts, how we move, the choices we make, what we have to do is we have to put the flesh on pause. And what I had to do was put my flesh on pause and say, you know what? I'm not going to let this part dictate this part that controls this part. At the end of the day, my, my, I can't have no more headaches that bring on heartaches. So in order to do that, I've got to put the body on pause because yes, do, do, do were there moments where I was weak? Yes, because you're, you're are used to having your way. You're used to the idea that you can remember what it feels like to be loved, yes. to have sex, to be embraced, to kiss, to, you know what I mean? You yeah. can still, you can still have companionship without fornicating. And when you move yourself away from the aspect of fornication, the reason I say that is because remember, let's go back to the earlier part of the conversation. Uh, I feel that ignore brings more. If you make it hard for a man, you only draw him to you. I have accumulated so many best friends in men. Like a, a lot of people don't realize it. Let me just give you a list. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, it was D'Angelo. We were best friends. Yeah. Okay. Laz Alonzo is one of my best friends. Never slept with him. Never wanted to in that way. Very attracted to him, but kept my head on straight. Right. Idris Elba, one of my best friends. Could have been with him. Didn't want to cross that line. Say, uh-uh, no, I'm not going to do that. It has allowed me, uh, Darren Henson, one of my best friends never crossed the line, didn't want to do that. What it has allowed me to do is be all my brother's sister. Yes. And when they look at me, they define how they wish their woman could be. Not so much that I'm all that, but because men look for a purity in women that have self-respect. And when I don't make myself so readily available, they it's so uncommon that they see that that by the time they find it for the first time, they're ready to marry it. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
because it, it, you know this generation especially they, it, it's just like pick a car do what you want to do get it how you live I'm about that life that's whole perception of you know I'm not going to be controlled by the narrative of ignore brings more but in actuality you're only going to get the best when you wait it out so that, that that's why I go back to sometimes holding out for sex. I got so comfortable with that that I began to excel. I did big movies. I worked with some of the biggest stars. I was so uh, in love with and passionate about my career that those were the times that I had the biggest records. Yes. The biggest movies, the biggest smile. I was in a place where I was, I turned all that energy into my focus and my drive to get to the next level. And I got there was only when I got a man that I began to teeter downwards because now my focus is off. And when I say that, it's because remember, I'm the person that loved hard. I'm the person that was smothering. I'm the person that was giving. It was because I was out there so far to reel myself back into reality. I had to almost let that go to just focus on this. And when I did that, God said, no, that wasn't my plan for you. So let me ask you this last question. I want want you to take us out on this one. Um, The podcast is supported by about 70, about 85% female, the rest men. And we've been getting a lot of men uh, listen to the podcast and been seeking healing through it. It's been an amazing uh, thing. Your biggest song was black brother. Now what I want you to affirm our black brothers by telling us why did you write this song at such a time? Tell us the year that it was written and why you made this an ode to our black men. Wow. Great question. Well, first of all, I co-wrote the song with Raphael Sadiq and Harold Liddy, but the conception of the song came from the fact that we had, as a generation had gotten into disrespecting our culture, our Kings and our Queens. I had begun to, listen at radio that referred to women as bees and as hoes and women were, they were scrubs and they were no good and they were dogs. And, and I began to say, if we tear down our own people, what then does that make us? So I thought about James Brown when he says, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. Not since that time had we come upon somebody that took a chance. I took a shot in the dark. And it was just like, you know what? I knew the Bible and I knew we was getting away from ourselves because in the mindset of things, people thought, oh, the white man ain't this, the white man doing this, the white man doing that, the white man. I'm like, but what are we doing? Yes. So I began to think about what it was doing to our women. Uh, they, there weren't enough jobs for black men. Women were getting equal salary. It was calling, causing division in the home. The narrative that Satan was using was divide and conquer. Uh, the divide and conquer narrative is used in business. It's used in families. It's used in love. It's used in jobs. And the narrative was used on our people. Divide them and you can conquer them. So it was at my moment in time to make a difference for women to know their place. So in order to do that, I had to stand up for all women and let brothers know you are kings. We respect you. 
We need for you to run these households. I don't care what the white man doing. I don't care what the Jew man doing. I don't care what the, uh, whoever the Japanese are doing. I don't care what anybody's doing. But what you need to be doing is recognizing that you're a king. Put yourself on the plat on the status that you are. And as a woman, we will look up to you. We will follow you. You're my brother. I love you. I don't care who else try to hurt you, but I'm not going to tear you down. So therefore, it's my my position to build you up. And that's what I did. Well, and I wanted the brothers to not look at Angie Stone as a, a, a basher of men. I had, I had written a song, Seems You Much Too Busy, from Vertical Hole. That's a woman's heart. Because men got so caught up at a time where I'm like, what happened to going to the park, to the movies, buying flowers, all that stuff? Seems you're just too busy for me. I'm trying to hold the house down. That was the song. But men got upset because it was like, oh, my wife coming at me. But I was speaking for every woman. So I said, now I got to make it right. Because now that I have your attention, now that I have your attention, let me tell you how I really feel about you. And that's when we came up with Brother. Well, let me tell you something. Again, I thank you for that song. I know um, a lot of my black brothers share the same sentiments. Um, you're a legend. You're blessed and highly favored. I thank God for our relationship. I thank God for your wisdom, your knowledge. Uh, you're just a talented, overall, overall talented individual. Uh, thank you for thank blessing you. our listeners with your wealth of knowledge. I'm, man, you dropped a lot of gems, and I'm sure um, you just left us full left us full all right so, so thank you for joining thank the dear future so wifey podcast thank you for having me i wish you much success uh with this show anytime you need me to stop by you know how to reach me on speed dial all right love you love you love you too thank you see bye. you guys later bye. bye bye definitely shout out to angie stone for taking the time to just break bread with us and have a very transparent conversation I really appreciate people who can just keep it lit. But this is one of my favorite parts of the podcast. It's where I manifest my future wifey. Dear future wifey, I will resuscitate you. I know you have fears of fully surrendering yourself to me. You provided oxygen to previous lovers. But unfortunately, when you needed a breath, you were left hyperventilating. These painful panic attacks have left you with a bit of PTSD, preemptive trust, situational delusion. That inkling of insecurity will dissipate through hours of our conversation and the time I will invest in understanding and nurturing every hurt you've undergone. Every kiss we exchange will be mouth to mouth resuscitation to pump your heart into the dimension of agape love. Baby, allow me to resuscitate you. If the struggle becomes too great for my mortal being, I will hook you up to my savior, G-O-D, the greatest operating defibrillator. Just breathe. Your future hubby. Thank you for listening to the Dear Future Wifey podcast. Remember, be lit. Live intentionally and transparently. And don't stop loving. Make sure to subscribe to our Dear Future Wifey YouTube channel. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We welcome your support. Simply share our podcast with your friends and family.